This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. Well, here we are. Uh, we're at the, at the close of our series. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed it a lot. I, I assume and trust that you have as well. Uh, we've put a lot of work into this series. Uh, each and every uh, man that, that put a study together. And uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and ask, ask you guys, if you gave one of the studies, to raise your hand if, uh, if this applies to you. And I uh, just want everybody to see something that we put into this in this study if you gave one of these sermons and you used even half of the information you came across raise your hand maybe maybe not even 10 percent and uh, and so we, we we went through a bunch of information uh, to put these studies together I can't imagine the amount of history some of these guys had to read so I considered myself very lucky getting to look into the science uh, on the creation um, and so Another thing is, we, we barely used any of the information we found. There's a lot more out there. And so this was just a scratching of the surface. Uh, today, I've been asked to, to ask the question, why does it matter? And so we've looked at, at these different studies and, and the fact that they really happened, the fact that the men and women we read about in the Bible were real people that lived real lives and that... Sometimes I, I catch myself saying a Bible character and a Bible story and as a real person. It was a real event that actually happened. And that's an amazing, amazing thought. This morning, it seems like there's two choices. You can believe, and this was more particular to my study or maybe Matt's study, but it seems like there's two choices. There's, there's the option to believe what the Bible says or to believe what, I'm just going to say, what the world says. I mean, it seems like we, we can both look at the same information and come to different conclusions. And so this may be uh, slightly counterproductive to all the studies we've done so far, but everything we talked about from, from the creation all the way to the apostles and to Jesus, it's data, it's history, it's, it's science, it's astrology or it's archaeology, and it's data. Okay, and so while that's great and while those are amazing tools that we can use, I, I say that because I don't, I don't care what anybody says, what any scientist says or astrologist says or, or evolutionist says. They, they can present whatever they want. We're going to believe what the Bible says. And so some of those things can be helpful and some of those things can be faith building. But at the end of the day, eventually we're going to have to lean on faith. In Romans chapter 10, it says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so these studies we looked at, while they've been faith building, and, and while they've helped us in that way, and, and they've certainly been a good extra source, at the end of the day, our faith comes from God. It comes from the word of God. And if we, if we put all of our trust and, and all of our hope in scientists and whatever studies we can find on the internet and whatever some famous uh, astrologist or or paleontologist says, we're, we're going to be let down. Because faith comes from God. It comes from the word of God. And Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. We've talked a lot about evidence. We've talked about different areas in which we see evidence that proves what the Bible says is real. 
And at the end of the day, the best evidence out there is faith. Faith is the evidence of the things we don't see. And I think if you're like me, you will see evidence of God in your life. And what God's able to do for us. The the world can't help us with sin. The world can't take that away, but God can. God can give us comfort in a way that the world can't give you. And I think you've probably seen that in your life. And if you haven't, when you do, it will certainly build your faith. It'll certainly help you to believe in God when maybe the world can't. I noticed here in the Spanish translation a really uh, amazing thing. It says, the demonstration is what this word means. And so they translate it slightly different. They say that faith is the demonstration of things not seen. That What faith can demonstrate in your life and what faith can do for you, it's the demonstration of things that you don't see. I thought that was really cool. What that means is God can help us in ways uh, that, that you only understand, that you only know when you know God. And that's some things that the world's missing out on. They've, they don't know God. And until you know God and until you form that relationship with Him, you're not going to know, uh, you're not going to have that faith. And you're not going to know what God can do in your life. Finally, in Hebrews 11 and verse number 6, it says, But without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And so we can, we can look at all these things in the world, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. It says, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, meaning that he is God, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. At the end of the day, we got to have faith. And there's some things in the Bible that we simply cannot prove today. We can't prove that, that Jesus healed a blind man by, by rubbing mud in his eyes. We can't prove that. You're going to have to have faith, and you're going to have to believe some of these things. We can prove some things, but we can't go back and prove a miracle. And so if you want to have God, if you want to please God, you cannot do that without faith. So we can look at the history, we can look at the science, and we can look at the archaeology all we want. And it comes down to faith. We're going to have to put our faith in the Lord. This morning I want to ask the question, why does it matter? Why does any of these things matter? And this might seem like a simple lesson because I think it should be. Why this matters, there's some fundamental reasons why all of these studies we've looked at matters. And the first point I want to look at is that the Word of God has always been challenged. It's been challenged since the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3 it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Shall ye not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. The word of God has been challenged since very early on. Since the very beginning, the word has been challenged. It's no different than today. We read what the Bible says and we try to live our life after that and the world's going to come in and say, That's not the way... You're not going to die. There's no such thing as heaven. There's no such thing as hell. There's no such thing as God. And the word's challenged just like it was 6,000 years ago. We face some of the same difficulties that people faced 6,000 years ago. And why is the word challenged? Why do people want to challenge the word? I think we see a a possible answer for that in Romans chapter 1. 
where it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest or obvious in them for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What this is saying is we can see things in the world and we can see and we've seen God's power. We've seen God's creation. And his power is clearly seen in those things. Uh, This verse, these passage rather, talking about the ungodly says, because that... When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and foolish, and their foolish heart was darkened. It says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Do you know anybody like that? Seems like we all know somebody who just is they're just too smart for their own good. They're just so smart that they just there's some things that fly right over their head. And they miss some, some obvious things. It says that, that God is made obvious or manifest in them. God has shown themselves to these people. Yet they know not God. And they glorif- when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. They, well, that's not God. Look, what an amazing world we live in. No, that's God. That's God. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. People, some people are just, they're too smart for their own good. And, and when I read this, of course, through the lens of these studies we've been doing, I cannot help but think about some of these scientists, some of these evolutionists. Some of these people, they think they're so smart and they think they've got everything and they think they know it all. And they, they profess themselves to be so wise and, and yet they're missing. They're missing some of the most obvious things. Back in verse number 18, it says, Who hold the truth and unrighteousness. They, it says that when they knew God, when they saw God, and, and they've had this opportunity to know God, who hold the truth and run righteousness. What that means is, is to, to actually hold back or to depress is what this word means. And, and what I see in my mind, and the first thing I thought of was like, you're holding something underwater. And that's what they're doing with the truth. It says they hold the truth in unrighteousness. The water is unrighteousness. And they see these things like the fact that God is God and who God is. And they see the scriptures and the truth of it. And they choose to hold it in unrighteousness. And not look at those things. And not obey the the Bible. And we got to be careful because we can do this too if we're not. If we don't watch out. We can hold the truth in unrighteousness. We, We think we know too much. We, th- we think we got it all figured out. We've talked about all these topics throughout our study. We've talked about the creation, the flood, uh, events in Exodus, the conquest of the promised land, the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and, and then many apostles. And while we're not going to break down each one of these and go into those, because I feel like we've done that pretty exhaustively, we see some things that, that we can learn in, in just the way that we presented these studies. There's things that we've, we've been able to see. We've, we've been able to see God's power throughout these. Can, can you not see God's power in creation? God's power in the flood? God's power in helping those in Exodus, 
and certainly in other examples as well. We've seen God's love. We've seen that in the flood. Believe it or not, that we've seen God's love. God loved Noah's family. He, he, uh, he wanted them to be saved because of their obedience. We've seen God's love for his people in Exodus. We've seen God's love for us through the life of Jesus. We've seen God's power to save in the flood, in Exodus, in many of these different studies that we've looked at. And how God will save those who, who are obedient to him. We've also seen God's wrath and what God does to the unrighteous. And that when God tells us that we must obey certain things, that God means that. And if we're not obedient to God, he will show his wrath. We've, we've seen about God's plan. And what, what God says and, and God's plans, those things happen. God had a plan and, and he brought that forth through Jesus. And aren't we thankful for that? And, and finally, we can see God's promise. And when God makes a promise, he keeps it. And God is faithful to keep those promises. God made promises to Abraham that were, that were kept. It may have been a long time later, those promises were kept. And God makes promises to us today, and those promises will be kept. We can learn a lot about God. We can learn a lot about who God is just through these studies. Mind you, these are seven topics. <laughs> this, this leaves out a bunch of the scripture that we could have looked at and we could have brought evidence for. And these are just a few of them. So I've got three points that I want to look at for the remainder of our study of why this matters. And these are very simple, and, and I hope you understand these things, and I hope that uh, you believe these things. And if you didn't before, I think you've got evidence, you've got plenty of it to believe it now. The first one's that God is real. That God is real. And the second one is that Jesus is his son and that he did die for you. And if those things are true, then heaven is hell. Heaven is real. Watch out. And hell is real. And the question has to be asked, so what now? In Genesis 1 and verse number 1, it says, In the beginning, God created. We know who God is. God is the creator. The Bible tells us in the first verse that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God goes on in the next uh, six days to create amazing things. God is the creator. God says that's who he is, and that's who God is. In John chapter 4, 1 John, rather, chapter 4, verse number 8, it says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And we've seen that, as I, as I just said on one of the last couple of slides, we've seen that demonstrated through all these different topics, that God is not only the creator, he is love. Trevin, in his sermon six months ago, said something that has just stuck with me. He said, God is not loving, God is love. What an amazing thought that anything that's love in this world, it is from God. Nothing is true love without God. And that's the God that we've been studying. That's the God that we read about. It's the God that we serve. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that God is faithful. We've seen that over and over again throughout the scriptures. That when God says he's going to do something, he keeps that promise. And he is faithful. And when God says something, God means it. And if we will follow him truthfully in our lives, we'll see that in our life as well. Ephesians 2 and verse number 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love 
wherewith he loved us. God is not only love, God is not only the creator, God is rich in mercy. God wants to forgive you. God loves you. What amazing thing to think that we can look at science and prove that God is the creator and and now we know that God, God wants to save you. And it doesn't matter what you've done in your life, God's still rich in mercy, God's still love. And he shows us more about that mercy and more about that love through his son. In Matthew chapter 16, it says, When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am? The Son of Man? Excuse me. And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God the son of the living God. And that's who Jesus is. And that's, that's one of those things it's hard for us to wrap our minds around. As long as you've been a Christian and as, as long as you've studied the Bible and believed who Jesus was and believed that God is God, it's still hard sometimes to wrap your mind around this, that Jesus is the son of God and that he came to the earth and he lived a perfect life. That really, truly happened. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? He showed us his mercy and his love in that. And then he truly shows us the greatest love in Romans 5 and 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That not only is God love, not only is he rich in mercy, but not only is his son, Jesus, came down here and lived a real physical life, but that he died for us. And not only did he die for us, he died for you while you were a sinner, knowing that you would sin. Jesus died for me knowing that I would openly sin against him, knowing that I would sin against him over and over again. Knowing the things that I would do, Christ looked at me and said, I'm gonna die for him. Well, that's amazing. That really happened. And so we can't talk about this without talking about sin. A few verses later, it says, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world... And death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all men have sinned. And there's no escape in that. We've all sinned. And Christ chose to die for us anyways, and now we've got this sin. We've got this sin, and there's nothing that you and I can do about it. Christ, Christ just gladly takes it from us. And so not only is God real... Not only is Jesus his son who really lived here and lived a real life and died for us. And not only do we certainly have sin, but that that means heaven is real and hell is real. Jesus tells us that in John chapter 14. He says there, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also we know that God is faithful we know that he keeps his promises and this is one of the greatest promises he's made us he says I've gone to prepare a place for you Jesus has gone and personally prepared this place for you and I and he says he's going to come back and take us to that place heaven is a real place our life will one day end. You, you and I will die or unless Jesus comes back. And when that happens, not if and 
Not as if that's somewhere in a crazy amount off in the future. In the reality, it's not that far off. You will die. And I want you to know heaven's a real place. And you can go there. But on the same point, hell is real as well. Revelation, Jesus says, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Heaven is real, and that's an amazing thing, and that's the greatest news for you and I today. But hell is real as well. Hell is real as well. And I, I got to imagine, and you got to place yourself in the situation. We've been lucky we've, we've known of God our whole life, but imagine learning these things for the first time. Imagine learning that, that the Bible is real for the first time and learning that sin is real for the first time and that Jesus died for you for the first time and learning that there is such thing as eternity and you will either go to heaven or hell. Imagine being able to go back and relearn that as if it was you learning it for the first time. How life-changing that would be and how that would alter the course of your life forever. And what you have to do is you have to be obedient. Heaven is real and that's amazing. Hell is real and, and that's awful. But you must be obedient to God in order to see that. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He says, you, you want to go to heaven? You want to go to this place? You got to go through me. The one who just came and died for you. When, when nobody else would, when nobody else could, and when you had all your sin, and you've got to come through me. Second Corinthians 10 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. He says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And so the question is, have you done this in your life? Are you doing this in your life? Heaven is a real place. Hell is a real place. And you must be obedient to God. And I, I try to be obedient to God the best I can. I, I suppose you're here because you do too. But the Bible says that we need to bring into captivity every thought. That every facet of our life must be obedience to Him. I got work to do. I got work to do to do that. To cast down every imagination and anything in my life that will exalt itself and come up and challenge God. I must tear it down in obedience to him. And so that question must be asked. And that question was asked years ago. The people that put Jesus to death there as Peter's preaching to them. They asked the most amazing question, the most fantastic question, the only question they could ask. And once Peter tells them that they've just killed Jesus and that he just died for their sins, it says, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What are we going to do? We've got to do something. Something has to be done. What can we do? What can we do? And it's to be obedient to God. It's be obedient to God. I don't know what that looks like for you in your life today. I don't, I don't know if you're a Christian 
or not. If you are, then you, you know what that looks like. You know what that means. That means you've got to bring every thought into captivity. Everything that exalts itself in your life, you've got to tear it down and be obedient to God. If you haven't, you've got to be obedient to Him in baptism. You, you've heard, we've, we've talked about the scriptures, you've heard it, and you probably, and I hope at this point you believe it, you've got to be willing to be baptized and to put on Christ, as the verse says here behind me. Why does it matter? Why does any of it matter? Romans 14, 11 says, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Heaven's a real place. Hell's a real place. And one day, you and I are going to stand before Him. And we're going to give account of the things in our life. Whether we brought those every thought into captivity or not, whether we were obedient to Him or not, we're going to have to stand there before God, before this Creator, before this Creator who is rich in mercy and wants to save us, and we're going to have to tell Him if we were willing to accept that or not. Every one of us will give account to God in that day. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.